This is Leave Your Mark. I'm Vince Cortez, and today's guest is Elizabeth Schaefer. She is a CLC, a certified life coach with the highly esteemed International Coaching Federation credential, the IFC, and she is specialized in achieving the ultimate confidence and positive shifts in mindset. She uses tools that have been used for more than three decades, over a million people worldwide, and we want to thank you for being our guest here today, Elizabeth. Thank you for having me. Hi there, and welcome. Now it's time for America's favorite podcast, Leave Your Mark, with your host, Vince Cortez. If it's fly, loose fit it, it's Cortez. If freeze and chubb is in it, it's Cortez. Leave Your Mark is about inspiring the world, one guest at a time. Pass the word from Brooklyn to Pittsburgh, from urban to suburb, it's Cortez, you heard? And here is our host, Vince Cortez. Yeah, this is quite interesting. You have a very unique story as to how you arrived at being a life coach. And you're a full uh, Northern and then Southern California uh, native. You're a West Coaster through and through. I am. So. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So you, you do a number of different things, but let's touch on where you were born and raised. So. You were born at Gales Creek, Oregon, and raised in Santa Maria, California, in the Central Coast. Uh, your mom, Kim, uh, she's a church worker, and she was a young bride at the age of 17. And your dad, Jim, is an optometrist. Uh, you come from a nice family of five, four siblings, Julie, David, Jamie, and Jonathan. And in the fifth grade, you would go to Hawaii to have probably your first life-changing experience so why don't you share with me when you went at the age of fifth grade what happened in Hawaii yeah so there's an organization called youth with a mission known as YWAM and my dad kind of had a crux where it was choosing his family or kind of choosing volleyball and not his family and he chose his family and wanted to kick it off with a mission trip a family mission trip so he put his uh business on hold had a doctor come in and run it and took all his five kids to hawaii for three months to do a mission school now what what was some of the content that he had in the school what did you guys do so they went off and did something with like all the parents so the adults and then they had a young like elementary school and then my siblings at the time were two and four, I think, oh, or one and three. So they brought a nanny to be with them because there wasn't a program for them. So it was really just they tried to hit the academics, what they had to. It was kind of a charter school, homeschool type setting, but with teachers, half day, just normal. But you're in Hawaii. That's just such a wonderful place yes. to be. Yes. Getting shaved ice walking along the beach. It was not a normal. Apples. Yes. Apples and yogurt with honey every morning. Oh man. That takes me. I was in Hawaii once for 10 days. It was probably my favorite place on earth at this point. Okay. So now you go and you have another experience in Costa Rica to learn Spanish. How much later was this? So you're getting some pretty nice experiences being out of the country or far away from home at a young age so what went on in Costa Rica it was my freshman year of high school and we had quite a few um 
Spanish speaking individuals where we lived in Santa Maria. And my dad really wanted to provide Bible studies and connect with them, but didn't speak Spanish. So he took another year off and took us to Costa Rica. At this time, it's just three of us because my two older ones were in college. And so we went to Costa Rica and learned Spanish so that my dad could come back. And he started up like language schools in our community, a Spanish service in our community. Well, now when you're going there, you said you're a sophomore. What are you, 16 years old, 15 years old? So do yeah, you I was a freshman, so I turned 15 while we were there. Okay, so you're still at like middle teens. Did you find learning another language difficult? Um, no, you know, my biggest regret is just the insecurities. I was too embarrassed to speak it. I didn't want people to make fun of me. I cared too much about what people thought, and I didn't get the most out of it. My dad, to this day, still uses it when he does eye exams. Oh, wow. Um, my younger siblings were completely fluent, and they've lost all of it. They don't know any of it. But I just, I wish I wouldn't have cared so much what people thought, but I'm a 14-year-old girl. So right. it kind of goes with the yeah, it's that wind of life where our insecurities are at their peak. All mm -hmm. right, so now you go back to high school. You're a volleyball player. And you said that you hated school. I hated school. Now, what was interesting, because you just sort of came from that kind of structure, more freedom than being in Costa Rica or Hawaii, than where you're back in Central Coast now. And so did high school drag on for you? It was horrible. Um, I remember, <laughs> so my freshman year, I acted out and snuck behind my dad's back and kissed a 21 year old when I was 15. My dad found out and was like, what are you doing sneaking around? So they actually sent me for three months to live with my youth pastor and children's pastor while they finished their commitment because they said, we can't trust you around these boys <laughs> or men. So then my dad said, you know, I can't send you to the military. So the next closest thing is this crazy strict high school called Valley Christian Academy. And so that's where they sent me and it was miserable. I played volleyball. That's what helped me keep my grades up. But I remember eating lunch in the bathroom stalls. I just didn't feel connected. I was sad. I'd come home crying. And then my senior year, they said, you can go wherever you want your senior year. You can choose. And I just, I prayed and I just felt like I was supposed to stay and graduate from there. So I did. Very interesting. So... The situation with Valley Christian, you actually earned your way in by mom and dad's rules. Mm -hmm. So that part of life probably happened rather quick. Mm -hmm. It was a punishment. So, <laughs> so now you're you're a graduate. You get to pick where you go to, to school now. Mm -hmm. And you graduate high school. Mm -hmm. And you decide to go to Thailand and Hawaii again uh -huh. for some mission work. Yes. So you're back into your your middle school years of or middle school influence of going out and venturing into the world and getting a deeper look. Yep. When I was in the fifth grade, I told my dad, when I graduate high school, I'm coming back. So I went with the same organization. Okay. All right. So, and how long were you on that mission work for then? So I was in Hawaii doing the training school for three months. And then we were in Thailand for two months, um, kind of practicing what we learned. 
sleeping on church floors and doing dramas and helping out where we can in Thailand? I think um, missionary work is very interesting because depending on where you are, there's a lot of diversity in it. Mm -hmm. So um, going back over there, you know, what, what drew you to want to go back? And then when you went back, what was probably most emphatic to you? What did you remember most from it? You know, growing up, I, I mean, who I am bleeds into everything and just like everyone, but I just, I'm a feeler. I'm all heart. And from a young age, I've just been in love with God. And I wanted to, in my mind, I knew that that's what my parents did when they loved God. And so I followed in their footsteps because I wanted to go to school and learn about God because that's all I cared about. So, you know, there's speakers that fly in to teach you about prayer, God's heart. And so I just wanted to know and learn as much about him as I could. And that's kind of what drew me to do it. And then Thailand, it's like, the opportunity to go somewhere and learn another culture and share God's love. I just, I think that it was just what I was felt like I was supposed to do. And I think looking back, I really did hear God's voice and I met, I mean, I still have some friends that I talked to from there and it's been decades so, yeah, I mean, I feel like it was right for me in that season. I think a place like Thailand, too, and that culture is this very peaceful, a very tranquil place. And my experience is, with God and the Holy Spirit is, is where the peace is, is where the power is. And you just, you know, be still, I am God. And you don't really need anything more than that than to let that kind of sink in. And um, it sounds like that's what happened to you. Yeah. And when you're touched and or you're giving permission to, to be touched deeper, that's what your creator loves. Mm -hmm. And then it's really on. Now, now you're ready to go. So this is very exciting. So now when you come back from Thailand and, and your trip over there, how does life take root? Well, I ended up joining the staff for the YWAM base in L.A., um, so I did that for about six months and then I went to college. I enrolled at Pasadena city college. My family had since moved to Pasadena where my dad and older sister were going to Fuller seminary. And so I lived in marriage family housing at Fuller seminary and went to Pasadena city college, worked as an optometric tech and, then transferred to Hope International in Fullerton to get a bachelor's in youth ministry to be a youth pastor. Okay, now, how long does it take to get a bachelor's in ministry? And what are some of the things that they cover in there? So it's a four-year four degree. Um, and you kind of cover all areas. So you have children's ministry classes, youth ministry classes, um, you because my degree was youth ministry I had a lot of people come in and just teach like adolescent psychology um building groups being a leader I mean all the different elements that come in with um working full-time with students it's just it's a normal regular accredited degree 
the, it's not like one that's made very popular. You know what I mean? No, it, not at all. Connect with us on LinkedIn. Be our friend on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram. You are listening to Vince Cortez. We just want you to leave your mark. So, um, you know, moving forward here, um, you soon meet your husband, don't you? I do. I met him in college. Okay. So tell with me how you came across his path and... And when's the beginning of your relationship start? So um, Jason is an incredibly gifted musician and singer. And he would, he transferred in after I was already there. And he would lead the music for our chapels sometimes. And I was always like, holy crap, that guy can sing. He plays the guitar. He plays the piano. Some weeks he's just playing the bass. Sometimes he's playing the drums. So he's a musician and musicians just have an edge. And <laughs> I just would be like, he's really good, but I wasn't physically attracted to him. So I remember I would be like closing my eyes, singing songs. And I would literally, there are times where I'd be like, God, give me feelings for that guy. And then I'd open my eyes and I'd be like, never mind. <laughs> oh, geez. Okay. So it was the talent that you were drawn to. Yeah. He would lead me to my father. And it, there's not a lot more attractive than a man who's going to get up there and make space for me to connect with my creator. Oh, wow. That's very powerful. So I was connected to that. And then um, our friendship just grew. We were just friends, completely platonic. We became best friends. And I would like try to hook him up with people all the time. And they'd be like, well, why don't you date him? I'm like, cause I'm not attracted to him. He's a great guy, but I'm not attracted to him. And then I got him a job. I was, after I graduated, I was the helping out with the youth at the church in Marietta in Inland um, Empire, California. And they needed a worship pastor. And I said, Jason could come. And so we started driving from Fullerton to Marietta every which week. is not a short ride that's but yeah it'd be like 45 minutes each way but we'd go saturday night we'd stay the night at my parents and then he would lead worship i would help with youth i would do his laundry because i was doing my laundry and it wasn't a big deal i just was like i'm doing my laundry which sucks because it screwed me over now because he's like all you've ever done is my laundry and i'm like whatever so anyways he got spoiled he got spoiled but we were just friends and then after like a year of the commuting, something was going on inside of me. And my mom was in love with him. Like, she's like, Elizabeth, why not Jason? He has the nicest smile. He's kind. And I'm like, mom, it will never happen. I will never marry Jason Schaefer. And I would tell her, I would tell, I, I would tell him all the time. We would fight. And I'd be like, I feel so sorry for your wife. <laughs> Little <laughs> did I know I was having like a pity party. Myself. Yep. <laughs> oh, oh, yes. You forgot you put an emotion that uh, you asked God to make you put you in love with him. And that was that was it. The prayer right. was already put in motion. You, right. did, you did it a while back. What happens then you get married and you start a family? So like, give me the window of time. So what year did you meet him? And then I'm getting you close to 2009 when you were getting ready to have a family. So what happens? So you meet him, you wrestle with and yourself emotionally. Wrestling. And then one time he's leading worship and all of a sudden I'm attracted to him. I went home and I said, mom, why am I attracted to him? This is weird. 
And she said, just don't tell anyone, just pray about it. Maybe God's doing something. So for two weeks, I didn't tell anyone, but I couldn't even be around him. My heart felt like it'd be out of its oh, chest. Wow. So then wow. I wrote him a letter and said, hey, my feelings have escalated. And then he called me at like 11 o'clock at night and said, I'd be lying if it wasn't the same. And then we started dating five and a half months later, we were engaged. And then five and a half months after that, we were married. So we got married August, 2006. Wow. Nice. Okay. So now you're in 2006. So I'm jumping up here where to 2009, that's correct. And you're, you're preparing to start a family and you experience polyistic ovarian syndrome. So share with me what's like what you were feeling emotionally to think about or or work on starting your family. And then when the syndrome situation happens, so that's a a very emotional window. Yes. So I'm the one who my whole life, I wanted to just, I wanted to be a mom. And so I was four years old, putting pillows in my stomach, looking at my side profile. I just had the longing for that. And um, I, infertility wasn't something that we talked about in our family, just because it never entered the family. My sister has four and I'm in the middle of five. So it just never came up. And then 2009, January, we decided to go off birth control and just kind of see what happens. And then December 2nd, we got a phone call. They were running my blood work to kind of see, okay, she hasn't gotten pregnant. And they told us we were pregnant on December 2nd, 2009. And then December 24th, Christmas Eve, I miscarried that baby. And when they called to tell me I miscarried, I was also told that I was diagnosed with polycystic ovarian syndrome, which means I basically don't ovulate. And um, it was really hard. I wrestled. I was like, so I'm not supposed to get pregnant. I get pregnant and then I lose the baby. And it was this deep loss, this deep mourning and not knowing how to process that and what to do with that. Um, and so then 2010, um, we decide to do some Clomid, some birth, some, that's our first six months of, uh, fertility treatments. It's just a pill to help you ovulate. Uh, didn't get pregnant. It was horrible. We had a horrible doctor. Um, at the whole experience was just every month was disappointment. The way my body responded was horrible. Um, the symptoms and side effects. And with all of that going on with your body, what were you experiencing emotionally? Like, are you, are your thoughts like you want this child that to that degree that you're willing to go through more of this? And then when do you decide, you know, to take another direction on that? Yeah. You know, lots of deep uh, disappointment. Um, and then very much, I would say the underlining was I'm a waste of a woman. I can't procreate. And then feeling guilty that I can't give Jason a biological child. So it was just very- That's a lot. I mean- I felt like I'm not doing what I was put on earth to do. So why am I here? Oh, wow. If you are listening from Australia, Florida, or just from around the corner, from East Coast to West Coast outlets, if you're not to the dirty South straight, make a left and Contact us. Leave your mark with your host, Vince Cortez. So it was, it was hard, really affected our marriage. Um, so that six months failed. And then 
let's see, that brings us March of 2011. We went to orientation because we really were like, well, I, I, my husband would have been fine if we never had kids. He's like, it's fine. I'll ride my bike, like double income, no kids. But it was just in me like, no, I want to be a mom. So he went along with it and we really wanted to provide homes for kids in our backyard. We felt like foster care for us was also missional. And so we did our orientation of March, 2011, did all our classes, got our cholesterol checked, did everything you gotta do, parenting classes. And they said, okay, it'll take up to a year to get a newborn. And so we're like, great. So I quit my job, started an organization called Vantage for, um, adolescence and um, just self-worth kind of sex education, did private classes, saw about 250 kids. My husband said, I'm going to sign up for an Ironman. We were just like, okay, we're in our last year. Let's do this. And within two weeks, we got the call with our oldest, Wyland, who turned 11 yesterday. So Wyland is the first of your foster children to come. Mm -hmm. So uh, correct me if I'm wrong, you have seven or fostered seven children. We've fostered eight children. Eight children. Wow. And so, I mean, you kind of jumped there. So when you were talking about when you decided to go for this and you get wild. And so you, you also had your first house mm -hmm. and your first child. So share with me that window of what happened just before you found out Wyland was coming and then what happened right after that. Yeah, so we were like, now's the time to buy a house. So we bought our first house and there's just a lot of moving parts. Um, and I remember we we're on a trip to Arizona to visit some friends. And I forget what it was, but I told my husband, like, we need to get back. Like our name's on the list. If we get the call, they go to the next person. And he's like, it's not going to make any difference. Like they said a year. I'm like, well, I just don't want to miss the call. And we would have missed the call if we would have stayed on the trip. Like that's when the trip came. And I remember I was coaching high school volleyball at the time and I got back and the game was a bad game and I was just grumpy. And my husband was like, what would make you happy? I'm like, I don't know. I'm hungry. Like I was just pissed. I was, I was mean. And he's like, well, what about if I told you if our social worker called and I just like, even to this day, I can feel my gut drop. Like what? Like what? He's like, yeah, she called. There's a little boy. And I'm like, what? Like, freaking out what volleyball game I don't eat dinner and <laughs> like yeah one week ago a little um biracial boy was born that needs a home and I'm like can we get him right now oh like, wow I'm gonna call in the morning and let him know but so anyways called the next morning and we picked up a car seat on the way to get him and picked him up when he was exactly one week old all right, so the excitement there happens another seven times. So, yeah. I mean, the people over at the foster caregiving, they, they were familiar with you and your husband. Yeah, we had the same social worker the whole time. Wow. We have a social worker that represents us, and then each kid has their own social worker, and then all the biological parents have their own social worker. Wow. But we had the same one the whole time. So what would you have to say from your experience about the social worker system? It's broken. It's just sad. Honestly, I have a love hate because the system has brought me my family. 
but I've also seen so much that could have been prevented. And I mean, they say we want to do what's the best interest for the child, but I don't see that. I see we do what's in the, what we think is in the best interest of the birth parent. And it's hard. It's, um, to have the community and the resources. I feel like, like I'm in the process of doing the training right now because we have an active open case with us for my three-year-old foster daughter. And so we're renewing everything right now on the videos. It's like, there's a reason why there's lack of foster homes. And the reason is because you're hung out to dry. The resources, the social workers are overworked. It's just, the stories would blow your mind. That's tough because um, experience the blessings from that that you have. And then to hear um, that level of despair, disappointment, all of the above, um, it's, you know, it's kind of crazy how things in life are what's so good about it or what's so bad about it too. Mm -hmm. And it's sometimes uh, the best of intentions turn out to be the, the biggest messes. But um, that's very interesting because, I mean, seven, eight kids later, you'd probably dealt with that system for what, about 12 years, maybe that window? 11 years. 11 years. There you go. And probably not much has changed by the sounds that if they're understaffed and uh, they're dealing with administration type issues, that, that's like a juggernaut. Those things sometimes just never get changed, which could be unfortunate. So now we come up to 2021. Okay. You are a certified life coach. And I want you to share with me what your current work is, because this is fresh. I mean, can we put an abbreviated year saying it's two years because COVID was 2020, even though we weren't counting that? Well, 2020, I I got certified March 2021. So 2020 okay. was really a life, just a year on hold. I mean, we did bring home a new puppy and an air fryer and a foster baby. So we did do all the things people were doing when they had all the time on their hands. But as far as life coaching, um, that started March, 2021. Wow. All right. So you're also an author. So do you want to share with me um, your mindset transformation coaching and, and how your curriculum and your content has come together and then what you're doing on the internet with it? My life coaching up until now is one-on-one. -on -one. And the way you look, a lot of people ask me like, well, what's the difference between life coaching and therapy? Therapy is more looking back, bringing healing where you've come from, coaching. I have lots of clients come to me and say, I've done years of therapy and now I'm ready for what's next. I feel more, I feel healed. I feel more whole. So coaching is like, or you can do them together. They just don't replace each other. Um, so coaching you look at where you are today, help you get to where you want to go. And so a lot of my, I'm a mindset coach. And so I've had a client that was nine. I've had a client in their sixties and just everywhere in between. And that's one on, once a week and there's 16 week packages. And we just kind of go through life, whatever their topic is, anxiety, money, um, their house wants to be in order. I mean, it's just the different, there's a variety of topics. 
uh, right now I'm in the process of kicking stop like a nine week masterclass for executive women who suffer from anxiety. So this is something brand new that I'm working on with What's some of the content in that. That sounds very interesting. So the content in that it's nine weeks long and each week it's looking at where you are now and where you want to go. And so one week we'll talk about finances. One week we'll talk about relationships in your life. One week we'll talk about just your joys, your fun, like playfulness, like what is your self-care and what makes you come alive. And so it's really just a whole body picture where in nine weeks we break it down individually. And so they'll watch a video that I've taught. And then once a week, we meet as a group for live Q&A. So that's kind of what I'm working on. Right What's now. interesting is it's sort of like what you'd been doing all the way back when you went on your initial trip and your trip in Hawaii. Mm -hmm. It's you're you're in charge and you're calling the uh, the decisions on the content and, and what's going on, but it, it was all formed when you're you're calling to your creator spoke to you deeply. Mm -hmm. I love these stories when it happens when people are young. Yeah, because it's like you're you're still figuring out life, but that intuitive feeling inside you just keeps like tapping you in the back of your mind. And it yeah. doesn't matter that you're young. It doesn't really matter what age it is, but it'll come a tapping. Yeah. <laughs> and um, yours was young in life. So if you have a story to share, tell us, how are you going to leave your mark? Leave your mark. Contact us, leave your mark with our host, Vince Cortez, be our guest. What I would like for you to do is just share with me how you'd like to leave your mark. Yeah, absolutely. I'm working on leaving a legacy and when I'm at, when I'm not at my funeral, <laughs> at my funeral, I want it to be packed with people that felt loved and seen. I think that there's so much power in making eye contact and really seeing people where they are. And so my mark is eye contact. My mark is seeing you and loving you, all of you. And there will be no one that met me and didn't feel seen by me. Yes, I like that. Powerful. Thank you. Nice work, Elizabeth. Thank you. <laughs> you're, you're carving and molding yourself into the person you're supposed to be. Absolutely. Well, I want to thank you for coming by, but before you go mention your web addresses please your social media pages mm -hmm. and then we'll post them on the bottom of the video for the viewers to access you but if you'd share them with me verbally now yep for sure so it's tandemlifecoach.com and then that's my website and then my handles is just elizabeth j schaefer on instagram and that's s-h-a-f-e-r all right well there you have it Thanks again. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Leave Your Mark today. Tune into our next episode of Leave Your Mark with Vince Cortez. Be blessed. You just left your mark. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Listen to more episodes on demand. Just click Leave Your Mark with Vince Cortez.